This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host John Crane and Jared Timms, another episode of the show. And guys, it's that day we all say goodbye. We're waving goodbye to Cole Calhoun. Oh man, memories, memories. Starting with Jared, how you doing, man? Doing good. I feel like I haven't been on in a while. It's it's been a, it's been a long time. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I, I kind of thought maybe you left, got married, maybe had a couple kids before you came back. I thought maybe that's what happened. And, I don't know you know, if we can do that in a week. I, it feels like it's been years. Like you know, it's like a reunion. Yeah. Guns and Roses back together. All right, I'm I'm good, I'm good to be back on. It's it's you know it's been a hectic uh, couple of weeks, but uh, you know I'm good. It's good to be back on and talking some Angels baseball. We have some news, this year, right? We do, yeah. we do. John, how you doing? I just thought Jared like was really into Halloween and like you know extends that holiday out. You know, like people tend to do. Uh, I'm doing good. I, you know, working and doing a podcast tonight. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm doing good. Doing family stuff. You, you sound so, so old, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's old men. You're not that far behind me, my brother. You're know, not that far behind me. I know. So yeah. So explain this to me, though. You were on this little bit of a rant before the show started. We had to kind of fold it in. What are you so fired up about today? I was telling, I was mentioning to you that I, I really feel like, and again, I think we'll have a lot of uh, listeners who, who may disagree with this, but my knowledge of baseball in general has grown existentially. I think I would use the right word uh, so much that I, I find social media, starting to find social media annoying. Uh, just the way that the, you know, the comments about Cole Calhoun, you know, uh, well, first, you know, people are the good riddance, good riddance. Okay, there's no reason to say good riddance to Cole Calhoun. He's a guy bust his butt. I mean, he's a. I, I, am I sad that you know that we're gonna? And I'm not even sure that we're gonna lose him. And this is let me go back to what I was referring to. My knowledge has gotten so much better 
from doing this podcast with you and with Jared. And, you know, I, the, the, the comment that, that, that really struck me today was the, the guy saying, gotten something for him. We should have gotten something for him. Uh, no, no. If we could have gotten something for him, we would have. And then learn, you know, speaking to Jared, learning about how, you know, we just don't pick up the option. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're losing um, Cole Calhoun. It just means we're getting him at a much more practical price, a price that's worthy of of his talent and, and his spot in the rotation, which may be, you know, limited anyways with the rise of Joe Adele. So my just my whole point was I just see – People, you know, we need to trade. We need to get, you know, uh, uh, you know, everybody. It's just ridiculous stuff that just doesn't make any sense. And they don't understand you can't cut Upton. You, we can't, you can't cut Albert Pujols. We have to pay them the money. And they. so uh, I just, I just, I've, I said, I just want to say that I feel my knowledge has improved dramatically. And, uh made 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 the sport a little more uh, enjoyable more i definitely am monitoring on a daily basis the news and i appreciate all the knowledge i learned from you too i feel kind of like a professor now like a really smart guy i mean seriously like well, well you are a teacher so <laughs> true jared's back there not saying a word. the obvious but jared's like <laughs> i don't want any part of this discussion leave me out of this one <laughs> totally jared's- Jared's the one who, like, explained to me that, you know, that we, you know, just because they, you know, this is great news, people. We just freed up a bunch of money to sign what everybody says we need. Pitching. Army, maybe even a catcher. And we didn't necessarily lose Cal- Calhoun. Um, you know, and we do have Joe Adele, and we do have Brian Goodwin. It's just funny. Just people, oh, we should just trade this guy, trade this guy, trade this guy. Without any knowledge of, without any, taking just a second to understand how, and I'm not going to say I'm a professional, how it works, how finances work in baseball. Thoughts, Jared? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you never know what could happen here. Um, I saw MLB trade rumors today had, Cole Calhoun going to the Pirates for a one-year, $6 million um, contract. And, I mean, if that's the case, I'm sure the Angels will definitely reach out and say, hey, you want to come back for one year on 5 to $6 million with a couple incentives in there? Just in case, just, just, just in case Joe Adele isn't ready yet or just in case uh, Brian Goodwin isn't, uh, you know, what he was last year. If, uh, you know, something happens with the uh, Upton or, God forbid, Trout, you know, doesn't, doing what he's doing in center field or if he gets hurt or something it's you know uh, are there cheaper options than cole probably I, I i think you can still find somebody cheaper than five to six million dollars but at five to six million dollars for a year you know it's not a it might not be a bad way to go you know so um you, you never know that's that's what's fun about free agent and uh, free agency and a uh, happy hot stove opening too i mean this will this is the second most fun time of the year minus the whole season so this is this is uh, this is when all the fun stuff happens. So let's let's just sit back and relax and watch. Let's see what happens. And I'm going to continue with what I've been saying: spend early, spend often. <laughs> it's raining money. This is money raining everywhere. <laughs> exactly out of uh, Artie Moreno's coast of, or uh, Corona Del Mar home down there. It's going to be one little cloud over his uh, house, just raining money all over it. Well, that's the crazy part, really, of all the debate. He's been taking the most heat, as if he never spent money before. While this payroll's been top ten forever a day, 
he won't spend money. He won't do this. He won't do that. He doesn't want to win. And, and and that's what I mentioned earlier that I might have left out. You know, the comment I saw, I, I believe it referred to Artie as stupid. And I was telling I was telling Derek, um, you know, Artie, you know, made millions and millions of dollars with billboards, bought the angels that are worth probably 10, what I'm going to say, 10 times more than they were worth when he bought them. The man is not stupid. Uh, but, you know, he's not but he is not the baseball mind of this team. He ha- he assembles the people around, and just like I said, the irrational comments that people have just uh, sometimes they irk me. But I'm not I'm not like Twitter. I'm mean, I'm not like a Derek. I, I'm not going to put on my gear and crawl into the war <laughs> for any extended amount of time. I hit and run. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, there you go. There's the weird opening to today's show. We are still a newer podcast, though, and we would really appreciate some support. You already get a lot of it. If you like what we're doing, please head to our Apple Music and subscribe. Leave that five-star review. We really appreciate that as well. If you want us to earn it, if you want to give us some feedback, and you don't, don't quite want to hammer us, head over to talkingtohamsgmail.com and send us an email. We always enjoy reading emails, even if it's something that isn't necessarily, necessarily something we'd want to hear, like, hey, uh, John's horrible. <laughs> you know? Just want to say, please, let us know. Also, if you're a new listener and you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor. Text a fellow Angels fan and let them know about our podcast. It would mean the world to us. All right. Before we move forward, I want to leave for a word for our sponsor or from our sponsor. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. All right, guys. Well, cool thing. I got a chance to sit down with Fabian Ardaya from The Athletic this last week. It's a little old now because we waited a day, but solid conversation nonetheless. Here you go. Check it out. All right, folks. We're here with Fabian Ardaya from The Athletic, the Angels beat writer there. Fabian, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Ready for the offseason. It's already been the off season though for us for like a month now. I mean, that's it's ready, and we're ready to just roll right into winter meetings, and that still is a month away. Hey, was, the GM meeting is only a couple weeks away. <laughs> See, ever the optimist. There we go. Ever the optimist. Well, to be the Debbie Downer here, we want to put a, like a book, close the book on 2019, and this season was not what we expected in so many ways. And if you could describe the 2019 season in just a few words, how would you describe it? Um, from my perspective, just covering the team, I mean, difficult. I mean, there's a lot that happened, a lot to cover. And I'm sure for, from an Angels fan's perspective, I'm sure it was incredibly difficult to watch at a lot of different points, uh, difficult emotionally with some of the stuff that obviously happened with the loss of Tyler Skaggs and just sort of seeing this team fall apart as, as it did those last couple months of the season. But, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a lot happened over the course of the 2019 season. And it's crazy to think that just, I think it was like six months or so, seven months by now ago that we were all talking about just Mike Trout signing his extension, what the next 12 years, you know, look like 
it feels like it's been 12 years since that point. It does. And what's devastating about that is a season that in a lot of ways had hope. There were some hopes the team could grind it out and get at least compete for a a wild card spot. And so they do fall apart. In May, though, we were looking at the schedule going, man, that August-September schedule is brutal. And we were asking a lot of those questions about where this team is going to go, if they're going to be able to survive with the pitching they had. But was it the pitching alone, or was it was did Tyler's death finally catch up to this team? I guess is where I'm trying to go. I mean, when you look at where this team was at peak, if you want to say it was June, you want to say it was towards the end of July when they won that Dodgers series, you sort of looked at what this roster had done, and you see the lineup was one of the better ones in baseball. The bullpen was good enough to play. It was just about the starting pitching depth. Do I think they had the starting pitching depth to really succeed or really excel in this postseason, especially watching how this postseason unfolded? No. I mean, they would have had to make a trade, would have had to make moves at the deadline to bolster some of that starting staff. But, I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways it did sort of come undone because of the lack of the starting pitching. I don't think anyone expected uh, Patrick Sandoval to make it to the big leagues this year. I don't think most people expected Jose Suarez to be there, at least not as soon as he did. And then Griffin Canning even probably got called up a little bit earlier than people expected just because of some of the injuries that happened. And then there's the loss of Tyler in addition to that. I mean, the team obviously played really well uh, for that three-week stretch after Tyler's pass, and they were already playing pretty well uh, when he did pass. Um, but yeah, there was a little bit of that emotional high there, like you mentioned, but yeah, there, there is a point where emotionally you burn out. Uh, there is a point where just not having the bodies, not having the arms catches up to you. And then all of a sudden you have a guy who is playing through an injury. Isn't going to necessarily test as much when you're 20 games out. Um, yeah, like Mike Trout, where if he said he, if they were in the postseason push, he probably would have played through. His injury, although it was very painful, I mean, it, you just sort of see some of that stuff sort of just snowball onto one another. And is it necessarily one thing or another? No, but the biggest thing that they can fix going towards next year is the pitching. The the way that, that this team kind of just got to August and just dive bombed, and really just before that, the Tigers series, the, the Orioles series, the emotional high of, of taking the Dodgers out for those basically sweep all four games. Is it is it really a case possibly also? I mean, because I'm really, I'm, I know I'm pushing this question because I've been curious about it. I want to make sure I get this clear. I felt for the longest time this team was able to ride what Talon had and the pitching, but just the emotion of everything finally caught to him at one point too. That, that 16-inning game with the Orioles and after the Dodgers series, and at some point, it all just catches up to you. It's not just injuries or pitching alone. These guys are grinding every single day. They went through a heck of a month in July, and they didn't just slump. They flatlined almost offensively as well. So how much of this season's collapse can they put on the emotional loss and the aftermath of of losing Tyler? I I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, Um, but – like you mentioned, that schedule got really bad really quickly for them. Uh, a lot of the guys who were producing in that lineup were either hurt, like a Tommy LaStella, 
or you had uh, Justin Upton really struggling to ever really get hit footing at the plate. Uh, you just had a lot of different guys going through different stretches of the season where it never seemed like it got to that point like they were in mid-June when it seemed like everyone was really hitting the ball really well. Uh, Shohei Otani's offense kind of cratered a little bit in the second half. And then the pitching, it happened super quickly uh, with a lot of these injuries because you see Felix Pena tears his ACL. Then by the end of August, Griffin Canning is shut down for the season. Andrew Heaney goes on the IL during that during that time. And all of a sudden, you really have four or five healthy starters that you can trust in a big league game. And even then, those guys are struggling. Like Jose Suarez, uh, the moment got a little bit big for him at times. He didn't really grapple well with making adjustments at the big league level, especially with his coaching staff, stuff like that. And you sort of just see all these different things sort of pile upon one another thing. And it's just... You see that with the schedule along with the emotional low. I mean, that's, that's how you take a team that you would say at talent wise is probably a, what, even with some of the injuries you would lost, Tyler was probably a 78 to 80 win team mm-hmm. and to have them play like the Marlins basically through the second half of the season. It was brutal to watch. It was brutal to see fans turn on Epple the way they did, what they did as well. And, a, a lot of people have gone after Billy Epler for his free agent signings and, or their lack thereof last year. And then now we see Joe Madden coming on. Billy Epler's on last year's deal. How do you evaluate the job Billy Epler has done now that the 2019 season's over and maybe even make the argument for or against him for the future? I mean, this season didn't go the way I don't think he expected it to, anyone expected it to. Um, I don't think anyone can go into an offseason expecting to spend $35 million on a bunch of guys who combine to be below replacement level. Uh, some of those signings, I think you could sort of see before they happened, some of the cracks and some of those picks. I mean, Trevor Cahill was sort of been up and down in his career. Matt Harvey hadn't really, had only really shown flashes even last year. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy had been declining for a little while. Justin Bohr, same thing. Um, I mean, you could sort of see some of those plans in advance, uh, some of the cracks there, but I don't think you expected them to fail that badly. Uh, and I don't think you expected to see some of those guys that you expected to be critical parts of this team either be injured or struggle. And that immediately sort of tanked where the season was going. What this means for the team going forward and what it means for Epler going forward I mean, it's been pretty clear that, I mean, Brad Ausmus was the guy that Billy Epler wanted to bring in. There was a clear direction that the organization wanted to go. Uh, They wanted to take an organization that historically has not been analytically minded and at least try to bring it towards league average because it hasn't even been to that level. They hire to create, uh, uh, to expand their analytics department. They hired Kevin Ferris to run the analytics department. Harmon as the director of quantitative analysis. I mean, they have this plan in place, and it, it just didn't work. Not, a lot of the different elements didn't work uh, for reasons that were, at times, just bad choices or sometimes bad execution. So now, going forward, I mean, they didn't spend the money this off se- past offseason in part because they wanted to be able to save it for this offseason if they couldn't get 
a Patrick Corbin for less than what he got or couldn't get some of the other free agent starters for less than what they got, they were going to want to make sure they had the money to spend this offseason. So really, this, I mean, it, go ahead. So, I'm sorry, I, just, I, I caught something you said. What do you mean by the execution of the analytics? Um, so like the example with Doug White. I mean, you bring in a guy like Doug White, first-time pitching coach, but had been the Astros organization, had been their bullpen coach last year, had helped build their minor league system to be what it is. I mean, at least their minor league game plan on the pitching side, he was running that for a number of years under Jeff Lunau. And you expected him to be able to be the one, the main skill that he had taught, brought with him from the Astros that you expected was the ability to take this information, translate it, and teach it to players. And that was the level, the thing that he struggled with here with the Angels. Um, he wasn't really able to take the data and make it sure that it was translatable to the players necessarily in the way that they envisioned. So that led to some mis-execution, led to sometimes just players not being comfortable with what was being done. And that, of course, along with just not being able to play well when you're put in those situations, can lead to some bad results. So, yes, Brad Osmus was very strict at times when it came to allowing pitchers to face batters a third time. Part of that was also just because the pitchers, whenever they were given a chance to pitch the third time through the order, they struggled. They were among the worst teams in baseball in doing that. So it was a lot about managing what players were capable of executing and also being able to execute the plan the way they wanted them to. Help me understand this a little bit, because to me, and I don't mean to be critical of the club, but that sounds pretty inept. It sounds, how do you put an analytic system in place when an analyst has been around for a while now and not be able to properly take that data and execute it? This isn't, it's not rocket science, right? It's, this is stuff that sh- that has been getting across baseball for a long time. How did they fail here? I mean, part of it, I mean, yes, there are some stuff that have been in baseball for a long time, but a lot of those developments are pretty recent. I mean, take a look at the book, the MVP machine outlines it pretty well, just how the Astros are continuously coming up with different ways to alter their techniques and to try to stay ahead of the curve. So in hiring White, when they did, for example, they wanted to be able to take someone who has the most recent data and be able to translate it. But sometimes, I mean, the Angels, there was a gap there. There's, there's gaps between the Astros and most of baseball in this regard. But for a lot of these pitchers, this is the first time they've thrown in front of an Edgertronic camera or a Rapsoda device. So to be able to, first of all, be comfortable throwing in front of them, to be able to take that data and be able to make changes to, to know what to look for, there can be a little bit of a gap there and a little bit of a learning curve there. So for a lot of these pitchers, they've been throwing without having access to this information for a while, and now all of a sudden they have access to all of this information. And sometimes that can lead to guys either not knowing what to do with the information, uh, maybe trying to rely too heavily on the information, and there could be a little bit of a disconnect there. I mean, it's not necessarily ideal, and yes, some of that comes, a lot of that falls on Doug White. That was his job to be able to translate that information. But, I mean, the Angels are also not the only organization struggling with this 
I mean, the Philadelphia Phillies, if you look at what they had with their previous pitching coach, Chris Young, it was sort of a similar situation. You have a guy, a first-time pitching coach, who was very analytic-centric, but struggled at times to communicate uh, with pitchers and catchers and try to create a functional game plan. And sometimes the game plannings were a little bit too strict or just didn't necessarily work or weren't tailored properly to execute. So sometimes it was on the pitchers not executing, but other times, most times, it was about pitchers not necessarily being put in the best position to succeed. And that's why the Angels decided to move on this offseason. That whole part of the conversation to me is just mind-blowing, though. I mean, I, I get what you're saying in terms of other teams have struggled as well. We know, having it, we talked to C.J. Wilson a bit ago. Um, we're going off the air for a little bit, at least I am, for a little bit at the end of the month where we had this big interview that we talked with C.J. on. It was part three of an interview, and he talked about six years ago, five years ago, so five, in the playoffs against the Royals and how they had data there saying, do this with him in the game, and it didn't work out because they didn't do it. <laughs> and here we are, years later, removed from that season, and the Angels are still behind the curve in the analytics. When Madden came in, one of the things he says he's going to do both. We're going to see a mixture of both. How did you interpret that? I mean, it's not as if Madden has been historically opposed to analytics. If you look at the front office he's worked with, you look in Tampa, where they had Andrew Freeman, who is who built a lot of what that functional, like creative and mental group there in in Tampa that has been able to create a sustainable winner there, and has done the same thing with the Dodgers. He has been very analytics minded there. The U.S. team, of course, with his background with the Red Sox and then with the Cubs, and they've incorporated some modern techniques for player development. So it's not necessarily like the fact that Joe Madden has not historically known analytics and hasn't been a proponent of them. But, yes, there are times where Joe Madden has been criticized for his game management, for relying too much on starters at times, or for his bullpen management, or for having players bunt. But it's not necessarily like he's the oldest school manager. I think Joe Madden, I think there are there is a chance that he could be the right mix there. There is a strong chance, and given the track record, and given the ways that he's been able to succeed basically at every stop he's been at, the biggest skill that he brings is not necessarily his openness to analytics or his openness to the new, older form of the game. He can do both. But the biggest thing is his ability to connect with players, and that's what worked with him in Tampa the most. That's what worked with him in Chicago the most, and that's what ultimately backfired with him in Chicago was that that, play, that team did not play necessarily with the right amount of urgency that the Cubs wanted them to do that last season. So maybe a new environment, new situation will re-energize Joe Madden and having a sort of a new audience for him to be able to implement those ideas on, that can be, make a big difference. And yes, I know you mentioned uh, that interview with C.J. Wilson from five, five years ago, and analytics have grown even more since then, mm-hmm. uh, just with some of the public data that's involved and stuff like that. But you have to look at ownership being willing to spend not just on players on the field, but also in an analytics department, being willing to spend money significantly in player development. And there are certain organizations that have understood that and have dedicated money to that, such as Dodgers and Astros, and there's other organizations that haven't quite done that to the same extent. 
all that in mind now, what direction do you think the Angels are going in with this? I think it's all going to depend on this offseason, really. I mean, there is a very clear path that the Angels could be a much better in a much better spot come this February if they can execute what their offseason plan is, if they can land a signature starter and then add other starting pitching behind them. There are, is a lot of position player talent on this team. There is, while it's not a deep farm system, it's not nearly as strong as it was a year ago, there is a decent enough amount of talent in the upper levels of the minor leagues. You have Joe Adele ready to make his debut uh, just basically whenever they call on him. Um, you have that group of young players. You have the talented position players. If you can get that pitching, I think the Angels are in a good position to at least have a window of contention. Uh, will they be a powerhouse like the Astros? Probably not. But can you build a team by spending, uh, by finding the right amount of that, the right veteran to insert into a role? Do you have, if you have the star power, have stars already in place? Yeah, I mean, you just saw that this past uh, World Series with the Nationals. They are not the most analytically inclined organization. Uh, they are not necessarily the most sustainable when you, you look at what their farm system ranking is. Uh, but they had the star power in place. They had Bryce Harper. They have still Steven Strasburg, if he opts out or not. They had Anthony Rendon, had Juan Soto. They have the talent. And if you, they paid for pitching, which they did this past offseason when it came to bringing in Patrick Corbin. They did a couple offseasons ago when it came to bringing in Max Scherzer. Then you can build a winner that way, too. There, that old way of building winners still exists. It's just going to cost a lot more on the uh, player acquisition side. So really, if the Angels are willing to spend that kind of money, you have Mike Trout in place. If you can pay to have an ace alongside him, pay to support guys like Shohei Otani, Justin Upton, get the right veterans around them and the right deals, then there is still a way for the Angels to build a winner. Will it be the same level of sustainable winner that the Red Sox are trying to build now that the Dodgers have, that the Astros have? Probably not, but there is a way to get a window of contention with Mike Trout under contract. One of the arguments I've made across you know this, this year has been that this year's the year if you're going to go for free agents because, yes, like you mentioned, the minor league system is top-heavy. You have a, a group of guys right there. There's kind of this Darth of talent right below them, and then there's a young group coming up that's developing now that's looking very interesting and very talented. And that's why the free agents would actually come into play. Those free agents fulfill gaps while you're developing stars in the minors and, and fill gaps while you are developing, say, catching talent. They have nothing right now in terms of catching. Go get a catcher. Is that the prevailing thought of how they could eventually transition into a, a team that will eventually have that minor system working as a funnel and not as a detriment? I mean, that's the hope that they have, is that the, that the sustainable minor league system that they've been trying to build, the player development advancements that they're trying to make just to try to catch up to the rest of the league, they're hoping that that can start to churn out players. The problem that they're going to run into, I mean, like you mentioned, there's a little bit of that gap there between 
the upper levels of the miners and the lower level of the miners when it comes to talent. And if they spend money this offseason, which they absolutely should, they have to work on improving this major league roster and significantly overhauling it, it's going to cost them the draft capital just because of quality. Because uh, Garrett Cole is going to have a qualifying offer attached to him. A lot of the starters are going to have qualifying offers attached to them. And if you trade for someone, which they probably should, because uh, you're not going to be able to get multiple starters at affordable cost uh, in the free agent market, that's going to cost you prospects too. So it's going to cost them when it comes to building their farm system when, it com- when you have to pay to bring in outside talent. That's the way that Artie Moreno has historically built his teams, spending a lot of money in free agency on the right type of players and hoping that that builds a winner. The farm, the farm system can produce homegrown talent, but it's not nearly as much of a priority as long as they can spend money there. Spending money on players has been historically something that Moreno has wanted to spend money on as opposed to player development, as opposed to other parts of the organization, which is fine. That's his right. It's his money, but that's just sort of the way they built it. So there it's a lot more difficult to build a sustainable winner that way. But if you spend the right money on the right guys, there is still a way to make it happen. So that in mind, this farm system right now that Epler's built and has taken some time, a lot of impatient people out there at this farm system, five years and, and, not not a whole lot of star power, but a lot of a lot of depth there in terms of where from where they were five years ago. Is there are there at least some pieces in that system to eventually make it sustainable, even with the losses of draft picks? I think the key is just player development and being able to create more of those guys, create more guys that turn into a David Fletcher, that turn into a Luis Rinkeepo, that turn into big league players. If you want to say, I know drawing comparisons to the Dodgers is the most popular among Angels fans, but they're as, about as good as the, at this as anyone when it comes to being able to develop guys, being able to turn guys into prospects that weren't prior, like a Matt Beatty, Edwin Rios, those kind of guys, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden you just have these guys who turn into so big league players that weren't necessarily your top prospects, and they were able to hit whenever they do have the top draft picks. The Dodgers haven't necessarily spent a lot when it comes to free agency for outside free agents. They have when it comes to keeping their own players, but not necessarily with outside free agents. So they've been able to keep a lot of their first-round picks, a lot of their early-round picks, and not lose them because of qualifying offers. But they have been able to invest money in player development so they can have cheap major league players, guys like Cody Bellinger, who might win the NL MVP this year, still making close to the league minimum because he hasn't hit arbitration yet. And they still have more young guys coming. They have guys like Gavin Lux, Dustin May, that just came up this year. So the, the real key is being able to develop young, talented players that you can keep having that cycle going. The Angels have started to do that a little bit when it comes to a Fletcher, when it comes to a Hifo. But they have to just keep doing it. That's the key is continuing to do that because eventually players get more expensive. You can't keep all of them. You have to keep bringing in young players that work. So you can't have massive gaps in the farm system like the Angels do right now, but I know they're trying to correct that while also still going out and improving their current Major League roster because the 
young players they have had come through are still obviously not enough. So, so last question here. Just pull out your crystal ball here. And where do you see the Angels by the time the end of free agency is over? It's, it's over. Who, who do you think they land or at least have a good shot landing? I know they're going to probably aggressively pursue Garrett Cole, but I don't want to say that they're going to find him because you never know. Um, especially with these kind of things when it comes to money, years, how much, how willing Artie Moreno is willing to go. I have a feeling that he would be willing to go further than a team like the Dodgers, who would probably probably be a similar appeal to the Angels just because he grew up in Southern California, uh, because they have the resources for him to win right away. Uh, the Padres are another team that would probably be appealing to both Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, but do they want to spend the level of money that the Angels probably could just after they already spent money on Manny Machado or Eric Hosmer? So that there is an opening there for the Angels to probably to possibly try and sign one of Steven Strasburg or Garrett Cole. I'm sure that knowing where Billy up what Billy Upland needs to do this offseason means getting a frontline starter, and he will try to try to do whatever he can to at least get one of those guys within the budget constraints that Arnie Murano might have. So I think they, I think they do wind up getting one of those guys, um, or at least really trying. And if they don't, maybe they throw a lot of money in a guy like a Hunjin Ryu, and just to be able to have a starter in there that they can believe in and have invested money in. Uh, I think they'll probably ha- wind up getting another couple starters in addition to that, whether it be a cheaper guy that they can buy high on or a guy who's a little bit more established in that tier below where maybe it's a guy like a Madison Bumgarner or maybe it's a guy who has even less of a reputation than that just to be able to provide innings because that's what this Angels rotation needs more than anything right now. It's just guys who can provide innings, capable, competent, big league starters. So I think they wind up acquiring a few starters in addition to a big, to a frontline starter, and they have to sign a catcher, I think, that was probably somewhat cheap, just given where the money wants to go towards pitching. But I think their dream offseason means they sign Garrett Cole. It means they add pitching in addition to that. I think they get the catcher who sort of fits their mold where he can provide a lot on the defensive side and can maybe add a little bit more offense than Max Stassi could. So I think that's sort of how the dream offseason is for the Angels. And I think they at least get that partially accomplished this offseason. The only thing is the catching market is, is pretty thin. So there's Grindal and that's about it. So if they want to get something they can hit as well, I'm wondering what they have to do. Yeah, to make a trade at that point. I don't think they're going to go for, after a guy like a Grandal or I mean, not he's not available obviously now, but like, a guy in that Real Muto sort of level. I don't think they go to that level, but I think maybe they look. And I wrote about this a little bit last month, but just I think they look maybe for a guy like a Travis Darno or a guy like a Martin Maldonado who can be cheap a veteran, competent behind the plate, doesn't necessarily have to be great, but has to have a level of competence there, and that would add a lot when it comes to helping not only the pitching staff, but also the lineup, and just overall having a steady presence back there. All right. Well, hey, Fabian, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. So can let people know where to find you, your work, and 
and basically anything happen to do with your coverage. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby and Ardaya and subscribe uh, to the athletic for some of my work. Um, just basically I'll post there for throughout the off season, just about what the angels are doing, what it means for some of their plans. And then I have some more stuff coming from when I went down to the Arizona fall league this past year. So there'll be some prospect stuff. Yes. I will be writing about Joe Adele at some point this winter. So uh, you can go ahead and check out some of that stuff there. Well, want to have you back once the dust settles here. And once we have an idea of where things are going, so we can talk about what's going to be going in the spring training, including maybe a Joe Adele in the mix. So I'd love to have you back. Absolutely. Anytime, man. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Have a great one. All right, guys. So there's the lowdown from Fabian. And then it comes to the news today. The big news today was Cole Calhoun. We mentioned her earlier, first top part of the podcast. He's been let go. They are going, they're not going to fall through his options. It means it's a $1 million buyout. You mentioned earlier, Jared, that the MLB rumors hasn't gone to Pittsburgh. We're around $6 million. It's possible to bring him back. But what are your thoughts about his overall career? And what do you think his actual chances of coming back are? I'm going to start with you, Jared. You know, I, I don't think we saw you know, the most out of Cole Calhoun on the field and the potential that he had. But, you know, I mean, he was, we talk about intangibles. There's, there's certain guys, you know, in the clubhouse that, you know, you gravitate to and I can almost guarantee you that Cole was one of those guys, you know, um, and it, you know, playing, I guess, to the right or to the left of, you know, Mike Trout for this many years and his, basically his best friend and um, in the outfield there and playing with, you know, so many guys for this long, it's it's going to be a tough thing um, if he does not come back, or, you know, if they don't re-sign him. Um, but, but yeah, you know, as, as an Angel, he's, you know, probably going to go down as one of the better outfielders the Angels have ever really had. You know, I, I posted something um, on Twitter earlier about what he, what he did, um, and he was top 10 in um, quite a few categories amongst outfielders in Angels history, which is, which is saying a lot, you know, there's, you, you had guys like, you know, the uh, Anderson or Stad, uh, Salmon, you know, you had, um, Chili Davis out there for a while, uh, Vlad Guerrero. So, you know, and of course Mike Trout and, you know, to, to be with those guys and be, um, ranked amongst those guys, it's something really special for, you know, such a, such a great organization like this. So it, it, he's going to definitely be missed. Um, but there is the bright side, which is the upside of, you know, Mr. Joe Adele. And we've seen what he's been doing. And um, the Olympic trials, I believe, is what he's in right now. And he's looked really good. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with him next year. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a fun year. So, Sean, your thoughts? Cole Calhoun just exudes intensity. He exudes heart. Uh, I mean, I, I am not a huge – I've never been a huge fan of him because I strictly look at the plate. I mean, but his defense is just – is off the hook. And, I mean, his his arrogance, his when he pumps his chest out, he knows this his defense is what is his bread and butter because he know, obviously he can see the scoreboard and see what he's hitting at any given time. And he just – I mean – 
I really do love the intensity of the guy. Like, uh, you know, he's definitely a guy that's not going to walk to first on an infield grounder. So, I mean, he has everything except the bat. And we need a bat. And and, and I'd just be curious. I, I already know your answer because you're the one who put this in my head, Derek. Again, this teaching thing that I'm getting from you guys. That J- Jared, do you think there's any chance that he will take some sort of a hometown discount? Because Derek has indicated, and I kind of tend to agree, that he really wants to be an angel. He wants to stay an angel because he's been an angel. And, and he does... Um, do you think there's any chance he would take a lower amount to stay with the Angels, though I'll be it probably a backup role at, in the near future? I don't I don't know if he does or you know doesn't. That's gonna kinda be a down the road type of thing. I mean everything that I've heard is it's you know, kind of a it's kind of a done deal, you know, that he's not he's probably not he's not gonna come back. Um so is there a chance? Yes, there's always there's always a chance of it happening. Um and you never know. That's the fun part about this. Um, time of the years you just you never know what's going to happen you never know what to believe you never know what's being said um but i mean if i had to put it on percentage i'd say a five percent chance of him really coming back but of course that can change overnight like we could wake up tomorrow and be like wow i think you know it's a 90 percent chance he's going to be coming back um and playing in some type of role with the angels and he i can almost guarantee you there's he, he wants to play here there's a lot of guys that i would assume want to play here because they know what the, the potential of this team could be um, with what they have and what they have working. So, yeah, I, I definitely think he wants to be a part of this. I would say he wants to be a part of it to a degree. I would think at this point in his career, age 32, believing, I'm sure, that he still has a starting line of bat. In other words, doesn't have the average, but he still has the power to hit 30-plus home runs a year to still be a decent, actually a very good fielder. He's going to want to start somewhere. If he can. So I think there is some interest in coming back. But I'm not sure that he's willing to sacrifice starting somewhere. Being in the starting outfield almost every night. Being in the lineup almost every day. And that's why a place like Pittsburgh might make sense. Because that lineup out there is a train wreck. He would make sense out there. And his power alley out there makes sense for Pittsburgh as well. So, I, I would say, in terms of Calhoun, it depends on the offer. But the reality is this: you got Brandon Marsh coming, unless they trade him. You got Joe Adele coming. You've got a solid fourth outfielder already in Brian Goodwin, who will probably—I mean, I guess—to start the year until they make sure Adele or Marsh is ready. Because I'm not given this, given the fall that Brandon Marsh has had. I mean, there's there's some talk that he's passing. Joe Adele for the time being. It doesn't mean he's passing for good. So there's depth there and at that position in the system to where you could afford to let Cole go. That's the reality. If they have all this extra money to go out there and spend on, say, getting Garrett Cole here, getting another pitcher with them, even taking a shot at a player like Grandal, which I have my doubts, but if it's a need, I see him going for it. You see who going for it? I mean, I the see Angels? Angels going for. It. I see them going for that. I, I see them. I don't see them really wanting to bring back Cole all that much. To be honest with you, to a point, even if they were going to pay him six mil, because he's going to be he's, he's going to be a bench player. He's not going to start by midseason. He's not starting. Is he? Does he want that? 
Yeah, I think it's more of I, th- I think it's interesting that, like I said, the reactions on social media of, of how people have complained the entire year about this team. And then the team makes a decision on a player who, again, big heart. I mean, you, you just see it on the you see it on the field. But I mean, brings very little minimum to the plate. And I know defense, you know, they say defense wins championships. I don't know that that necessarily applies to baseball. Uh, and I mean, he is he is pretty, pretty awesome out there. But but you got to make tough decisions to win. So I think if 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 we end up winning there, you know, the people that are now crying that they're cutting that they that they did this today. And there's a lot of people on, you know, was there on both sides. I, I maybe I saw split some people saying, you know, good riddance and some people saying, yeah, you let go of my favorite player. Um, I think it all really matters on what, what our record is next year on whether people really care that if they keep him or not. Yeah, you know, for me, it's he was going to get paid this year $14 million. You look at what Brian Goodwin did last year, and, I mean, basically the same, or, you know, basically the same role as Cole Calhoun. And he was better than him in all aspects of the game. Uh, maybe not defensively, but he was better than him. Um, you know, it was, it was just one of those things. And he got paid almost, like, you know, $13 million less than him. That's $13 million you can throw a different direction, which is fantastic. And, you know, this this is what's, you know, keeping me away from signing Cole Calhoun back for that 5 $6 million is there are plenty of Cole Calhouns out there you can go and get. Um, I, I know that might hurt to say that, but there are a lot of Cole Calhouns out there that are going to give you uh, one to two wins, Um on on the bench you just have to go out there and find them i mean they found brian goodwin last year i mean what makes them say they can't go find somebody else like that you know i mean i thought Jarrett parker was an interesting piece he didn't pan out um what i thought he was kind of kind of gonna kind of be but brian goodwin was was the guy that i thought parker might be so there's there's always guys you know minor league deals you know that that'll step up you know tommy Lestella did a thing um brian goodwin did a thing so you just you just never know, and I think you it's it's at this point it's all about the money, and it's it's a business too. I think that's what a lot of people are forgetting too. You know, it's it's a business, unfortunately. So, but uh, but yeah, there are a lot of Cole Calhouns out there, and I honestly haven't even looked at outfield depth yet, and they wouldn't surprise me if they went out and got maybe a little outfield depth too. So, but I don't even think they need to. I think they have the guys in the organization right now to. To weather any storm early in the year, while Joe Adele's getting ready or Brandon Marsh getting ready, they're, they're close. Those guys are both close, and, and Brandon Marsh really came on late in the year to show that he's close. I don't, at this point, think that the Angels have much to worry about there. And worst comes to worst, you put Fletcher out in the outfield for a little while. Honestly, you put him everywhere else. Why not? Seriously? Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. I I, I agree, but I I'm not I'm not confident with. Uh, Brian Goodwin and a Michael Hermosillo combination with a little bit of David Fletcher thrown in out there for me. You know, I, I think you need to go get something that you for sure know is going to be is going to be okay at a low cost. I mean, even if that is Cole Calhoun for five million dollars, that's not that that's not that bad. You're paying him to be a basically a half a win player next year at five million six million dollars. So it, it's it's just one of those things where, and I not that I don't trust Joe Dell or Brandon Marsher you know, any of those guys, but it, they haven't produced the major league level yet, you know, for me. So 
once that happens and I have faith in them, but until that happens, I mean, minor league stats are what they are. You know, uh, Brandon would hit 50, almost 50 home runs in the minor leagues and was one of the top prospects in baseball. So you just, you just never know. I just, I just think you still find it astounding again on the people are so upset over this. It's six, it's $16 million, right? We just, we, we now have to spend additional. Correct. 13 million. 13 million. Okay. Only 13 million. My point is, is everybody saying that, that, you know, we need to go, we need to go spend money. Already needs to spend money. Already needs to spend money. And I, and I just don't, I see this as a, I mean, I, I would have been a couple of years ago. I would, I probably had been one of these guys saying trade Calhoun, cut Calhoun. <laughs> you know, like I said, cut, cut pool holes, cut Upton. Like you could do that. Um, I probably would have been one of those people. Cause like I said, I've never, I mean, I like the man as his heart, but I've never been a fan of him. Cause I sit in the stands and I look at the, I look at the, the averages when the angels are up all the way down. And it's always been a lot of low twos in that lineup still, even last year. So. I mean, this lineup is going to change in in a, a few ways next year. You know, you're going to have a new catcher in there. There's talk about third base. There's talk now about left field, right field, where, where they're going to put people around. And I'm just, I'm kind of over a lot of this. But the, the lineup wasn't the problem last year. It was pitching. Mm-hmm. That was a problem. And you're un- and the Angels are unwilling to use situational baseball. Like, never bunt. Never steal a base. You just, a station-to-station team. That's what they were. And that unwillingness hurt them in close games. It hurt them as the season wore on and players were slumping. I'm not worried about one place or one guy. I'm, I'm worried about those other things right now that are a bit more important. I want to see where the team goes with that. Cole Calhoun had a great career at the team. I probably, if I'm going to look back years from now, will appreciate it more, especially his fielding. But the time has come for him to have to go, and, and that's just the name of the game. It's time for the Angels to start getting some of that youth, that youth in there. These players they've been developing, it's time. And if you're resigning them even to a smaller deal, it's not going to do Cole any favors, and it's not going to do the rookie any favors. Just get him in there. Just, just let's move on. That's just how it has to be. It's the nature of the game. And if we stop being so sentimental all the time about players, we wouldn't see as many bad contracts in the game. That's, that's true. Think of how many Word. bad contracts the Angels have had, and a lot of it was about sentimentality instead of actually thinking with your brain. What about that last Kobe contract? Oh, let's not go there. Let's not go there. I mean, that, that yeah, I'm not going there. All right, no, guys. I was just kidding. I didn't want to I, go there. I was just sniping well, at you. Derek. No, you wanted to go there. because you. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there. This isn't Laker talk. All right, folks, it's time for us to go. You can reach out to us, talkinghailsgmail.com, if you'd like to sponsor us. Also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Talking Halos or on the Facebook group, which is, that's right, Talking Halos group. Halos. There we go. Yeah, check it out. Also, there's a big history buff on. I'm going to shout him out. We're going to have him on the show soon. Halo Joe. Go see Halo Joe's page. Does a lot of Angels history. Pretty cool stuff. Follow Jared on Twitter at Jared where? Jared underscore Thames. Very easy. John's at Jason Crane. John, I'm at DC Apollo. It's time for us to go. We're everywhere on Podcast Mania. Seriously, we're everywhere. Go find us. Hey.
Let me say something. Sure. Our guest tonight posted an article about Cole Calhoun, and it's a good article, uh, Fabian Ardaya. So he just is, is this afternoon, he posted an article on it. So if anybody uh, has the athletic or can just find it, it's a good article on Cole leaving or Cole, uh, the move to, to uh, free money. That's it. That's all I got. Shout out to Fabian Ardaya. All right. All right. All right. Great article. Good work. We're out of here. Take it easy. We'll be back for a midweek show. We're out. Can I city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Recruiters, reduce your cost per candidate by about 50% with CareerBuilder. We connect you to qualified, diverse candidates at every stage of the hiring funnel. CareerBuilder Talent Acquisition Suite. Software packed with talent. Visit hiring.careerbuilder.com forward slash recruit. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.